Mac Power Users, episode 348, Taming Your Subscriptions. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal, David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Excellent. This is a show that you wanted to do. It is. It is. You know, one of the things I've been I've been thinking a lot about is all of the subscription services that we seem to have accumulated over time. And I want to talk a little bit about how we're managing those, how we're keeping track of those, where there's some duplication and overlap and what, if anything, we can do about it and kind of what the state of subscriptions are right now. Sounds like a good show. Uh, before we get started, let's just take a couple minutes. Our last show was all about the new Apple event. And and at the time we recorded it very shortly after they finished the keynote event. And I just wanted to check in with you. Uh, you made your order on the show. Are you still happy with your decision? I, I think I'm still happy with my decision. I, I don't know that I really need a new computer, but I feel like I've, I've waited long enough that it's time. Um, there's, I feel like, you know, you mentioned this, we recorded the show right after the event. I mean, 30 minutes after the event. And I think we had a lot of good information, but I think in some sense, we, we might've recorded it almost a little too early because we didn't really have a chance to let a lot of the, the things settle, if that makes sense. And I have revised some of my thoughts and opinions since the last show. I've, I've thought about some things a little further. I think maybe in retrospect, I was a little harder than I needed to be on the low-end MacBook Pro. And I do kind of see the space that that fills. But I think a lot of the criticism that I have of this lineup still stands with it being overall more expensive and, you know, very kind of specialized for what Apple wants and maybe not necessarily for what quote-unquote pro consumers want but it's it's a different it's a different kind of update. But I think this is kind of what we have to be used to for from Apple now. Yeah, that, it seems to me like in the community, the uh, the response to the announcements has been generally negative. That people uh, have a variety of reasons don't like things, and I I don't feel as negative about it as a lot of people do. I think part of the problem is that we didn't hear about desktops, but I suspect that has a lot more to do with Intel than Apple and. Um, if you want a new iMac, just hold on to the existing one for a while. Well, I'm sure we'll get them at some point. And I would be shocked if it doesn't support, you know, an external monitor and the new USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3 ports. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to give up on this stuff. Uh, the, the, I'll tell you the one thing that is uh, I've thought a lot about, and I'm going to say this for the feedback show, is the idea behind a, um, an external keyboard with, um, with the touch on it with the what do they call it again the touch uh touch bar touch bar on it but i would like that uh but i'm not sure exactly where it fits and if it gets made but i hope it does but we'll talk about that on on the live show uh today we're here about subscriptions um so why are we making a show about subscriptions katie well it it really started brewing in my head a couple of episodes ago when we had our cloud services smackdown when we were talking about iCloud and Dropbox and and a little bit about Google and some of those other services and I had a little bit of a realization on that show about just when when we were talking about cloud services that I subscribed to them all I subscribed to Dropbox I subscribed to iCloud I subscribed to Google um, I'm a Google Google app subscriber and and to the extent that all of those services overlap and and how I'm I'm kind of triple paying and and duplicating all those services and so after thinking about that 
I then started having thoughts about all of the other services that I use regularly. Um, how many apps and services do I subscribe to? In you know, monthly, it's easy to see, but a lot of these things only renew yearly. So when you only get pinged once a year for something, it's it's a little bit harder to see it because you don't feel it quite as often. And I, I really feel like you start to lose track of it. So per your suggestion, David, and I want to talk a little bit about your workflow for this, I sat down and, and started making a list. And I don't even think I've completed the list yet, but I was shocked at at how many apps and services I subscribe to in the amount of money that I'm spending both on a monthly basis, a yearly basis, or if you take that yearly number and divide it by 12, uh, how much I'm spending on on these services. And if I really needed to cut back or wanted to cut back, could I? Because how much of that, how, mu- how many of these services am I really using? How many of them am I using to their full potential? And how many of them are, are my duplicating effort on? Yeah, we've never, I, I don't think we've ever really recorded the budgeting show that we keep threatening, but we can't find the right apps to recommend for. Um, but, you know, all this stuff, it's not just subscriptions, it's everything. If you look at, I think somebody's called it the Starbucks factor. Like if you figure out how much money you spend at Starbucks, you can actually send yourself to Hawaii once a year. And, um, you know, you know, as you go through life, this money just kind of dribbles through your fingers. I think I'm worse at it than you are. Um, and then just add a couple kids to the mix and then see what happens. But the, um, but you're right. Uh, suddenly we are, are dribbling this money in different ways towards software and services. I mean, years ago, first of all, there were no such things as services. You, when you wanted software, you went to, to Egghead, you bought your box and it had your floppies in it and you installed it. And that was your software. And when the next year they came up with productivity software, the next year they came out with an update, you went and you paid slightly less money to get your update disks. And there was no such thing as a service. And there was no such thing as um, uh, subscription plans for software. But the whole industry is kind of turned on its head. And, um, and maybe we should talk a little bit about that. Why do we have so many subscription services now? Well, I think it's all Steve Jobs' fault, right? Oh, it depends who you ask, but everything is Steve's fault. No, I just, I just, I just a little bit, but I think a lot of it is, um, it's really the app economy that, that we've, we've created. And and some of that you could say is really Steve Jobs' fault, but. Well, I I don't think, I think some of it's Apple's fault. Right. I I would, I think that's fair. The, um, uh, for so many, and there's different categories of software. The software we talk about most on this show, it happens to be productivity software because that's, you know, that is the stuff that makes Katie and I excited and and probably a lot of people that listen to our show. Uh, it, what kind of software can someone make to help you get your work done faster and more efficiently? Um, that whole industry ran on an upgrade pricing model up until a year or two ago. Um, everything was based on upgrades. So you bought Microsoft Word and then you bought the upgrade. You bought Text Expander, then you bought the upgrade. Every application at an upgrade pricing model. And Apple, as they got into the software selling business with the App Store, both on iOS and on Mac, never has shown any interest in the upgrade model. Uh, I've heard a lot of reasons for that. One reason is that Apple software itself um, doesn't need an upgrade pricing because Apple 
sells hardware. They make, they have, I don't know what it is, something like $200 billion in the bank. They make a lot of money as we buy these Macs and iPhones and everything. And Apple gives away almost all of their software now. I mean, you remember famously, we used to go stand in line at Apple stores and even before Apple stores and and plop down $149 or even more for a family subscription every couple of years for a Mac OS upgrade. Yeah, I remember. And we talked about it on the show if you go back long enough. <laughs> but the um but then there was software like Final Cut, which is uh, clearly got a lot of engineering resources thrown at it that used to cost something like $1500 professional software, and now you can buy it for $300. And and I I don't know that it's necessarily a lost leader, but I cert- I'm certain that Apple's not making a ton of profit on software. Right. And even like iLife, that used to be 50 bucks. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I work, I think was, was $79 and now they just give it away for free. Do you remember when the iOS updates used to, I think it was because of Sarbanes-Oxley. It was a minimal cost, but. uh, That was just a legal compliance. That was like a a buck or something. It was almost nothing. But the, uh, but I mean, they really did have a software business. I used to go buy the, uh, the garage band, like jam packs. I, I spent plenty of money in the Apple stores over the years buying software and and i'm not doing as much of that anymore there is some for sale but but katie's right a lot of it's free and the rest of it is seriously discounted over prior prices and and because they've got such an extreme discount when the new version comes out they just charge the same price again so um uh logic you know which is an app i have been buying for several years i use it in the video production and i use it in podcasting all this stuff i do so I, I bought Logic the first time I bought it. I think it was close to a thousand dollars. This is probably ten years ago, and now when I buy it, it's a couple hundred bucks. And every time you just buy the new version, there's no upgrade. You know, everybody that gets in gets the same price. It's something that if if, if uh, Microsoft dropped the price of Office from five hundred dollars to just one hundred dollars every year and said we're not going to charge an upgrade fee, it's a hundred bucks every year. Um, something equivalent to that. So that has started this model and people selling the apps, especially the people on iOS who don't have any choice because that's the only way you can buy an app for an iPhone or an iPad. So the app store, uh, they no longer have the thing that kept them alive for all those years. So they upgrade pricing model. And I think that one of the problems is, is that, and it, you said it happened a couple of years ago, it really started happening several years ago, m- much longer than that. And we've just, the, the ripples sometimes take away to work their way through, you know, Apple changed their policies. They came out with the app store and made the app store in conformity with what works for Apple, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, you know, cutting off upgrade. Well, obviously it was very intentional that they cut off upgrade pricing and those types of things, but that's just the route that Apple decided to take. And, you know, well, that's fine for Apple, but it really left all of these independent app developers who had a very different pricing model and a very different business model for how they worked and how they lived. Apple said, well, we've changed our pricing model. And that just kind of left all of the independent app developers going, okay. And we had these last several years where people were scratching their heads and a lot of people went out of business trying to figure out what they were going to do. And and now I think with subscriptions, we're seeing things are slowly starting to change. Yeah. So, so we've got two opposing forces here. We've got from consumer standpoint is a death by a thousand cuts. It's like, okay, I'm giving $2 here and $4 here and $6 there. And it adds up. And before you know it, I'm spending $200 a month on software. The other thing that we saw too is I think you're also seeing a fundamental change 
in consumers' behavior because of the app economy, because there are so many free apps and services out there that consumers just flat out don't expect to pay for software. They don't see the value in software and services anymore. And 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 that's a real problem because if you have a best-in-class solution that costs $50 or is a recurring subscription for, you know, $3 a month or something, but yet there's a, a free one that's free with ads or, or, or free, but from some unknown developer that you have no idea whether it will continue to be around, there's a ton of consumers, the vast majority of consumers are going to pick the free one any day of the week. You know, it's about how discriminating are you? Is the software doing what it's supposed to? I mean, these are typical market pressures you have everywhere. But in this case, you've got people from all over the world that have different, you know, costs of living, no matter where they're at. And uh, some people can afford to, to sell it much cheaper. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's better. Sometimes the cheaper stuff is better. Sometimes it's not. It it kind of depends. But the, the, the fulcrum of all this is we've got this this old model that no longer is working. You've got consumers that are not really happy about having to spend all this money. And you've got developers that have kind of the flip side of that problem. I, I just spoke at the release notes conference um, last month, and it was a room full of independent software developers. And some of them make games. Some of them make, uh, you know, all kinds of different apps. Some of them make photo apps. Some of them make productivity app. And at one point I was standing around a, a circle of people that all make productivity apps. And those are the ones that are suffering the most. And I said, so the question I have for you is, how do you make a productivity app in 2016 and make it as an independent living? You know, how do you make enough off a productivity app to continue to support it and and continue to develop it? And there was uh, like seven or eight guys around here that are all developers. And every single one of them says the answer is side work, which means they don't work full time on their app. They take contract work for other people. So they do programming work for other people and they put this protogaming app together, you know, on nights and weekends. And maybe like some of them had this thing where they would work three days a week for other people and two days a week on their app. You know, th- they've all got these goofy workarounds they've come up with to try and keep the app in existence. So that's that's the solution is how do you how do you make it work? you earn money somewhere else. <laughs> so we've got this economy where uh, productivity software, which is one of my favorite kinds of software, is reliant on people who are willing to work two jobs in order to keep it alive, which is no good thing. I mean, not only is it not good for the existing software because, you know, the stuff that we love is not going to get the support and love that it needs. It, it's so well known that productivity is just a money sink or, a, you know, it's, it's, it's not lucrative that uh, app, developers are just not even bothering. So there's probably some great ideas out there for productivity software that's never going to see the light of day because the economy doesn't have a way for them to exist. So so that's kind of the problem where we're at. How, how are we going to solve it? Um, Apple is still on the subscription bandwagon. And with iOS 10, they're, they're coming out with new models where you can subscribe to software. Um, developers are looking at those if there's ways to do it like can can you know, can an app like BB edit or, you know, some of these other really good productivity apps we, we like get by on a subscription model. And I think everybody's starting to look at it now because they realize they don't have any other choice, but as consumers and Mac power users, we have to make our choices too. Um, so, so that's really the, the pressures we're dealing with here. You know, we don't want to have to give up all our money every month for all this stuff, but we also want the ability to have good software. 
Well, and I think that's something that we need to look at is because we have a love-hate relationship with the subscriptions. And, and you've outlined a lot of the reasons why subscriptions are so important for developers. You know, it's the recurring revenue source. It allows for continued development and those types of things. But subscriptions can also be a good thing for consumers as well. You know, there's the old adage, especially seems prevalent with, with Google sometimes, that if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And some people don't care. Some people are okay with that. Um, but there is a cost associated with everything. And it may not be readily observable, but but there's a cost somewhere down the line. Um, also, if you're paying for something, you, you do help ensure that it's continued development. And I think we talked about this on the last uh, MPU Live. In some cases, subscription services make sense because it allows you to turn them on and off. Like we, we had the listener who needed to occasionally use products and services in the Adobe suite, um, but didn't couldn't afford to pay for a recurring subscription to that. Well, if you're going to pay more by turning it on and off, you know, and paying for it monthly. But now that's an option that you didn't have before when you had to buy the, you know, $1,500 or more box of software. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of ways to go about this. I, I know some folks that say, OK, I'm going to set aside a certain budget of how much I'm willing to spend on software and I'm not going to go over that. Um, my own personal kind of way I judge it is I look at um, for me, it's a high bar to get into a subscription. Something has to really deliver the goods. I'm not going to just subscribe to everything under the sun. I'm willing to try something for a month or two to see where it fits. A good example of that, and we're going to talk about later in the show, is um, the Dragon Anywhere, which is a pretty high subscription. But I said, I'm going to try it for a month or two and see how often I use it. And then uh, if it's something that I find truly useful, I'm then willing to actually spend quite a bit because I want the ones that really work for me to continue to exist. And I'm willing to pay for that because in the overall scheme of things, a lot of times, even what we consider to be high subscription really isn't that high. Um, but the trick to me is to say, I'm going to pay well for the stuff that deserves to be paid for, but I'm not going to just pay for everything. And, um, and everybody's got to come up with their own solution, but but that's kind of a good overview. I think we've covered, you know, the, you know, where, where is it for the, where's the problem for the developers? Where's the problem for the consumers? Uh, the next thing we want to talk about is how we manage and, and kind of keep track of what we're doing with subscriptions. And then we're going to talk about some of the ones that we do put our money into and why. This episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by the Fujitsu ScanSnap Document Scanners. Head over to budurl.me slash SSMPU to learn more about the Fujitsu scan snaps for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. While you may be digital, a lot of the people you deal with may not. As a result, we get all this paper thrown at us every day, and we need an easy way to digitize it and get it out of our lives. You shouldn't be filling your home and office with filing cabinets. You should digitally scan those documents and send them to the shredder or the recycle bin. If you're finding yourself accumulating paper, Fujitsu ScanSnap is for you. Fujitsu made these scanners specifically for the purpose of scanning documents and they're monsters at it. The Fujitsu ScanSnaps are dual scanning. They have a scanner on the front and the back. So as you put paper through them, it gets both the front and the back of the paper at the same time. It can handle documents larger than legal size, so you can easily scan anything you need. It can even stitch documents together after you scan them. They have optical character recognition or OCR software built right into the supporting application so you can perform OCR on your documents as quick as you scan them. And best of all, Fujitsu has partnered with a lot of great services like Dropbox, 
Evernote, and Google Docs to make sure your documents get sent wherever you need them to be. Whether you're scanning documents from the mail or business cards or maybe receipts after a trip, the Fujitsu ScanSnap can set you straight. The software has a clever way of setting profiles, so you can have different profiles for batch scans, some for single scans. You can even have them for color versus black and white images. You just select your profile and push the button. I love the simplicity of it. Fujitsu has a variety of scanners ranging from the iX500, which is the desktop model I use. It's got a 50-sheet feeder, down to something ultra-portable like the iX100, which can fit in a bag or a briefcase. Fujitsu loves the Mac. They just updated their software for the Sierra update of Mac OS, and they've added other interesting updates lately, like the ability to wirelessly scan to your computer. So you can keep your scanner down by your recycle bin and have it automatically save those scans via their cloud service to your Mac in your office. Stop letting all that paper accumulate in your office. Head over to budurl, that's budurl.me slash ssmpu to learn more about the excellent Fujitsu scanners, let them know you heard about it from us. And thank you, Fujitsu, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. So, David, one of the things that got me really thinking about this is on a previous show, you were talking about this spreadsheet that you had that you used to track subscriptions. And as I was prepping for the show, I was kind of doing this mind dump into a numbers spreadsheet um, just as I thought about them, all of the subscriptions that I paid for, and as I was working on the outline for the show, I kept thinking of more, and they kept popping in. And I'm sure this spreadsheet is not even near complete, but it was it was at least a starting point. And I know you have a much more evolved process of tracking uh, your subscriptions. So um, help me, Obi-Wan. Yeah, it, for me, it comes down to, uh, this is where a fatherhood comes in handy, because it start, all started with some penguins. <laughs> My uh, my oldest, when she was, she's now 19, but when she was, I think, like seven or eight, she wanted to, to subscribe to an online penguin game. Like, you know, you had a little penguin house and you could get penguin stuff. And it was, I don't remember, I think it was $5 a month or something. It was a subscription. And uh, I was okay with that. You know, we, it, it, you know, as a parent, it gave me a nice carrot, you know, <laughs> you don't get to play with your penguins if you don't clean your room, you know, that kind of stuff. But the, um, I'm just got, I'm sorry. These are virtual penguins. This isn't like a penguin cam. These are, yeah, I'm sorry. It's on a computer. You know, it was some kind of online, I think Disney did it. It was some kind of online. Um, it was like a massively multiplayer online game for kids. And it was, it was a, as a world of penguins. I don't even remember this what it was called. Reasons why I'm not a parent. Okay. Well, whatever. It, trust me. Someday you'll you'll know all about this stuff. But the um, uh, so so I decided to sign her up for it, and and also I was keeping an eye on how much time she was she was doing this because I'm not going to just throw money down the drain every month. And then after a couple months, the penguins lost their luster, so I wanted to cancel the penguin subscription, and I went through this like odyssey of <laughs> of pain and uh frustration it it's it, it was one of those things where it was very easy to subscribe and not very easy to unsubscribe <laughs> and i said you know this is not gonna work and so i started with an omni outliner um uh, just outline and i de then decided you know we kind of have a rule in our house I i'm not a nazi dad but occasionally i do have rules and one of them is if we're going to do anything that involves a subscription plan you have to come talk to me you know and and even as the kids have got older and they pay for some of their own subscriptions now, they still kind of got this down where we sit down. If we're going to get a new subscription, I go into the to the thing. I have the website where you sign up for it. I have a 
I, I track the cost. Um, if it is a yearly fee, I track it. I have a, it just says, you know, X divided by 12 to give me the monthly fee. So I know every month what I'm paying. And um, then I, the other thing you put in this is the um, the email address that you dealt with with setting it up. I have a just a notes field where I just block and copy out of the email, you know, the, hey, welcome to Club Penguin, you know, uh, just the email that they send you when you sign up with all that stuff. I copied into a field. Um, I have URL fields. I just have a bunch of fields I've set up for different ways to get a hold of people. Uh, the 800 number is another one. If they've got a phone number, I've got a field for that. So whenever I sign up for a subscription, I'm very careful about getting all the necessary information. I also have fields for the um, um, for the username, but not the password. You never guess where I put those. Yeah. And I think we'd mentioned at one point potentially adding the credit card associated with that, because in case your card gets compromised, you know which ones you have to change. That's a great idea. And I haven't done that. So if you're doing that, then you should do it. Um, however, over the years, numbers got really good and the iCloud sync got really good. So at some point I switched it over to numbers. I think this was before Omnipresence came into existence because you could actually, if I was still doing an Omni outliner, it would work because Omnipresence puts it on the Mac and the iPhone and the iPad. But but before that happened, I put it on numbers and now it's just stayed there because it's on numbers. And I've got the spreadsheet I track and I can look at it and just get a list of my subscriptions. And uh, that makes it really easy to see what you're spending money on. And uh, like I said earlier, make sure the stuff you're spending money on makes the cut in your life. If I suddenly find myself um, really happy with Siri dictation and not going to Dragon anywhere to you know dictate my words, I'd love to save $15 a month, you know, and just say, sorry, you're not, you know, you're no longer earning your keep. And and I have no problem with telling a developer that I'm not paying for it because it's not helping me anymore. Um, uh, but if it is helping me, you know, that's where I think that's where I disagree with some people, because I think if it is helping me, I'm, I think I should pay and I should pay a fair price. So it continues to help. But anyway, so I, I made this spreadsheet. So it started with Omni Outliner, evolved to numbers. Um, one of the things I do with it, if it's something that is a trial period, like when I signed up for, cause it's very easy to sign up for one of these and forget, right? Um, like when I did the, the, the trial with Dragon Anywhere is I gave myself an omni focused task in two months, you know, um, revisit Dragon Anywhere. And that, I think that was the entire entry I had. It was under, under a miscellaneous project. And so in two months I came back and said, Hey, have I been using it? Oh, yes, I have. Okay. So now I'm willing to go and like sign up to get the discount to pay for, you know, a year in advance or something. Um, but the, um, but you know, give yourself a way to kind of keep yourself in check with that. It wouldn't be a bad idea even just to have a, whatever your task manager is just a, a like semi-annually task to say, go audit my a subscription spreadsheet and just see what in there that I'm paying for that I don't use anymore or stuff that I may want to up the subscription or down the subscription on, you know, just a good way to keep yourself in check. So I just started this process and I'm going to adopt some of your practices. I, I haven't developed nearly as comprehensive as an audit as you have, but what I just started initially is a numbers spreadsheet and the numbers spreadsheet has a couple of things. It just has a couple of simple rows. It says, this is the service. Um, this is the amount. Is it billed monthly or annually? And and so there's a column that says monthly or annually. When is the renewal date? If it's billed monthly, I don't put a renewal date in there because it's pretty clear that it's it's every month. Uh, if it's billed annually, that's that's more expense. That's you know more important. Um, it has a column for the amount. I think I already said that. And then I also have a column for the credit card information. 
In addition to that, I would add, how do I cancel a field? That's one of my big ones. It helps. Trust me. Hmm. Okay. I, just, I haven't run into that problem yet, but I can see that. The, the advantage for you, Katie, is you're alone. So you you have a in your head a pretty good idea of what you're doing. But for me, some of the stuff that I'm paying for monthly, stuff that I don't use. Like, yeah, just as an example, one of the ones in my entry, it's a, it's a book subscription that my, my college daughter is using because... It's it's hard to explain, but in the university, they've got this thing where you can get access to these books. And we've been paying for it for a year now. And I just checked with her because it came up in the audit. And I said, hey, are you still using that? And she said, yeah, you know, it's five dollars a month. It's not a big deal. But if she's not no longer using it, I'd rather have, you know, sixty dollars a year to to have a dinner or, you know, help pay for college. You know, <laughs> So, you know, you just got to if you have a tracking system, it's, it's very easy to, you know, to go in and catch these. But but finding out how to how to unsubscribe or how to cancel them when it's not something you deal with, like iCloud, I know how to deal with that. I mean, I, I really don't need that much detail to unsubscribe. But if it's Marching Penguins or if it's a book subscription at the university or something like that, having notes about how to get rid of it is a, is a great idea. OK, so uh, there's there's a little structure. There's some Mac power users technology in use. and use. It's interesting. I don't know. Maybe there's an app for this. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, there there is. There's actually an app called Bobby. Um, I, I don't know why it's called Bobby, but there's an app called Bobby. Bobby, like a like a like a British policeman. I was thinking like Kennedy, but OK, yeah. Maybe Bobby, like, you know, like a, like a little, you know, policeman keeping track of your subscriptions for you. That could be it. It could be, it could be. Um, but it, it has a lot of the, what makes it helpful is it, it has a lot of, it's probably a good place to start because it has a lot of subscriptions listed into it. Even if you end up keeping track of it on your own spreadsheets, it has a lot of frequently, frequently used subscriptions. And so I've, I've got the app and I found, even though I don't keep track, I started initially keeping track of my subscriptions in here. And then I just found that I had way too many. And, but what it at least did is it gave me, it gave me points to think about. I was like, oh yeah, I pay for Overcast. I forgot about that. That is a, a recurring subscription. Uh, oh yeah. Squarespace is a recurring subscription. I got to put that in there. And so it just, it gave me additional venues to think about. It is, it is tough. You know, there's so many out there. I, uh, uh, and it's funny in the in the context of a conversation about whether you should subscribe and get additional apps. Uh, I find in this case the native app, the numbers, to be just outstanding for this problem because it uses iCloud Sync. It's reliable. I can check my subscriptions whether I'm on my Mac, my iPad, or my iPhone, and uh, it's easy to update. So I'm I'm really happy with the numbers. I if you're starting from scratch, I would probably recommend just try Numbers. It's free. You already have it, and um, if it does the job, you're probably fine. But you should have some way to track this stuff. I want to take a moment to thank our longtime sponsor of Mac Power Users, Smile Software. And you can save 20% off PDF Pen Pro 8 purchases in November by visiting smilesoftware.com slash MPU. Let's talk a little bit about what PDF Pen Pro for Mac can do. It is the Swiss Army knife for PDFs. It can do just about anything that you can imagine having to do with PDFs. In fact, it is my default PDF editor of choice. So what can you do with PDF Pen? Well, for starters, you can manipulate text. You can add 
and remove text on your documents. You can fix typos. You can also mark up your PDFs, which means you can highlight and draw and add notes, annotations, and comments to all of your PDFs. You can also sign and fill out forms. So if somebody sends you a document, you want to drop your signature in or your initials. I've got my signature and initials saved in PDF pen and boom, sign a document, send it off. No more printing, signing, faxing, and all of that done. One of my most used features of PDF Pen Pro is it will OCR documents. So if somebody sends you a document that's been scanned and has text on it, PDF Pen will go through and figure out what that text is so that it's computer readable. And then once that text is readable by your computer, you can automate all kinds of things with those PDFs. You can also add and touch up images. You can rearrange, add, edit, delete pages, and even add page numbers. You can even add a password so that people can't manipulate your PDFs later, add a table of contents, and annotations. You can redact sensitive information, which is very important to me as a lawyer. You can even export your PDFs into other formats. And with PDF Pen Pro, you can not only export to Microsoft Word, but you can also export to Microsoft Excel, PowerPoint, and the PDF A format. You can turn websites into PDFs. You can create and edit PDF forms. And creating your own forms is very powerful. You can also create digital signatures with self-signed or AATL certificates. And you can now read those PDF portfolios that used to be proprietary to Adobe. So if you haven't yet checked out PDF Pen Pro, it's time to do so. Head over to smallsoftware.com slash MPU. You can download a free trial of PDF Pen, but you can also save 20% off all new PDF Pen Pro 8 purchases for the month of November by going to smilesoftware.com slash MPU. Thanks again to Smile Software and to PDF Pen Pro for their kind support of Mac Power users. We've talked about how we track it. We've talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly of all these subscriptions. Why don't we get into a couple of the uh, subscription services that we, uh, we like and would recommend or maybe ones we've decided we don't like. I like the way you, you've, you've categorized them for the outline. So, so why don't we stick with that? So the first category that I thought we'd talk about, because it's probably one that lends itself very well to subscription services, and that is entertainment. <laughs> and I thought, I don't spend much money on entertainment. That's just not something I spend money on. And I do. So the first one that is a big one for me that I will probably take to my grave is Amazon Prime. We did a whole show on Amazon Prime, so I'm not going to recap all of the things that it will do. But Amazon Prime is $99 a year. You can also now pay for it monthly if you want, though you're going to pay more for it. And it gives you a lot of things. And, and, you know, it gives you the big one is two-day shipping benefits. Prime Video is another big benefit that it gives me. Then there's also add-ons that you can add to it. But you get a lot of stuff with Amazon Prime. You can There's now added a big photo benefit to Amazon Prime. Um, you can do some things with a Kindle lending library and audiobooks and things like that. And I don't use anywhere near all of the benefits of Amazon Prime, but I use it enough and particularly the video service that I use almost in lieu of Netflix that it's probably one that I would keep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we we use it and we like they, they make good content. Amazon has some great content they develop. We have and I I should have it. Um, I just realized it's not in my spreadsheet. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, it's funny because this stuff does come up, right? Um, so we've been Amazon Prime users for a couple of years or even longer. And at some point we signed up, there is a $5 a month subscription we're paying on top of Amazon to get, it's like a bunch of the BBC and the British um, dramas because we like all that stuff. And um, 
that has fallen off my radar. I don't even remember what it's called, so I'm going to have to look it up uh, later in the show. But there's a, in Prime, you can actually subscribe to additional channels on top of it. And uh, Acorn is the one we're doing, Acorn TV. So we're paying $5 a month for that, and it's not in my spreadsheet. I have to add it, Katie. Now, one of the other things that I wanted us to talk about as we talk about each of these subscription services, because I think it's pertinent to the show, is if you needed to, could you cut back? And then would we cut back? And I think you and I both have said, no, we wouldn't cut back on Amazon. But kind of what are the alternatives and what could you do if somebody wanted to cut back? And I think one of the ben- one of the alternatives here is you could cut back now that Amazon lets you pay for Prime monthly is the options are you a lot of people I know only do Amazon Prime during certain months. They only do it like during the holidays when they do a lot of shipping, like they'll they'll pay for it specifically for November and December. Or if they use the video benefits a lot, they'll they'll do it specifically during certain months. But that's now an option. Um, they also have a uh, prime discounts if you're students, or I think. Yeah, and, and we we covered so much of this on we did a whole show on Amazon, but just I've shared it with family members. You know, I did it before they cha- they took that away, so they're all grandfathered in on that. So we kind of have um, we're stuck <laughs> staying with it at this point. Uh, I could definitely see myself cutting Acorn if we needed to, you know, cut back a little bit, and th- that's one where now that I I realize I forgot that we have that. I'll be auditing that one and just seeing how much of this are we using? Is it worth $5 a month to keep it? But, but that's a good example, you know, of, of one that you can track. The other one that uh, I would be, um, I don't think I could cut it. Maybe I could cut this one, but if I did, my family would come for me is Netflix. Um, you know, with teenage kids, they love Netflix. <laughs> I, uh, I only subscribe to, oh, so we, Netflix is video streaming, obviously, and it starts at $7.99 a month and it goes up from there depending on the area that you're in and how many streams you have and do you have the ultra HD streams and those types of things. I subscribe to Netflix, but I will tell you that I turn my subscription on and off. I only subscribe during certain times of the year. Um, for example, I will be turning my subscription on right around the holidays. I'll probably subscribe for November and December because uh, Gilmore Girls. I love Gilmore Girls. Do you? Oh, yes. I love Gilmore Girls. It it ranks in there with one of my top, probably within one of my top five t- favorite TV series of all time. Are you Team Logan or Team Jess? I don't like any of them, but I, 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 don't, I never liked any of her boyfriends. Okay. I, I didn't know anything about it until about a week ago, but my, my daughters have been educating me. Yes. For the record, I'm team Logan. Mm. Anyway. Oh, I got, I got to you, didn't I? I he was just, <laughs> I never thought he was good enough for Rory. Maybe Rory wasn't good enough for him. I don't know, but moving, know. we could have a whole separate, that will be our next, uh, members only episode. <laughs> I may have to have my daughter at my back for that one. <laughs> well, I'll do a podcast with your kids on, on okay. Gilmore girls for the next that members. Be pretty funny. The next members only episode. Um, okay. But what, what prompted me on that is, is um, Netflix will, will occasionally release specials. Like they're doing a four part Gilmore girls special and they tend to do those. They release them at specific times. So I'll turn it on for that. And then I'll also typically turn it on over the summer because that's when the series, a couple of the series that I like to watch like house of cards and orange and the new black come on. And so I'll turn it on for a couple of months during the summer to catch up on those. And for time, you know, during the summer, there's less on TV. So that's when I tend to watch my Netflix. So, but it's an interesting point on these, this entertainment category. I think a definite plus for uh, subscription services, the ability to easily turn it off and on. 
And uh, I think that is a, a selling point um, because a lot of people will uh, decide, you know, when they're going to use it and when they're not going to use it. Well, some of them you can. I mean, Amazon Prime for a long time, you couldn't. And if you do, there's a penalty. With Netflix, not so much. Netflix, you can turn on and off as long as you remember to and know how to turn it on and off. Yeah, it, it is interesting. It's just fascinating to me to see how um, my children watch TV because it's completely different than the way I did. See, you could almost probably cut your cable then the way that your family watches TV. Yeah, I think we almost could. I, I think there's a couple channels and like, you know, election season and news and stuff. We'd have to figure some of that out. Maybe we'll have to go back there someday. But the uh, Tr- trust me, it's it's election season and I have not missed it. Yeah, you'll, you'll get exactly. plenty yeah. of it. I think I'd feel a lot healthier if I didn't watch it. Um, the uh, so either way, uh, but you know, between Netflix and YouTube, my that's my children's primary form of video, and, and they do like Amazon Prime too. One thing that I do want to mention is that for anything that you subscribe to through iTunes, and you can subscribe to Netflix through iTunes, Hulu, and pretty much any of your recurring subscriptions through the iTunes Store. You can buy those with iTunes credit, and there are lots of opportunities. I follow a Twitter account called iTunes Gift Card Deals, and I'll put a link if I can remember to them in the show notes. But there are regularly opportunities to buy iTunes gift cards and iTunes credit 15 to 20% off. And I always stock up and at any given time have between $100 and $200 in iTunes credit. So anything that you're buying through iTunes, if you have bought that credit at a discount, you're now effectively getting those subscriptions at a discount. Yeah, we also see at the Costco's in California, I don't know if this is true in Florida or other parts of the country, but almost every time I go there, they have $100 worth of iTunes cards for $90. It's very common. Well, that's only 10% off. You're not getting a good deal if you're only getting 10% off. I, I will usually do it at 15, but the the best deals are usually when you get them 20% off, but the, those don't come around as often. Okay, well, 10 is better than nothing. It is. Better than a poke in the eye. All right. Let's talk about a service that you and I both subscribe to that is not Netflix or Amazon Prime. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a decent chance, according to our statistics, that you are listening through Overcast. Uh, Overcast is a podcast player made by our mutual friend, Marco Arment. And I like Overcast because it just jives really well with the way that I like to listen to podcasts. And Marco made a decision to uh, make Overcast a subscription service this past year. And if you subscribe to Overcast Premium, which is $9.99 a year, you get some additional features, including uh, removal of ads, file uploads, and, and things like that. And I have, uh, I've always bought Overcast. I paid $4.99 for it initially, and I, I was a Patreon of, of Marco's before. And I, I went ahead and paid $9.99 a year for a couple of reasons. You know, one is I hate seeing ads, although since I paid him $4.99 before to unlock, that would also have removed the ads. And I also just really want to support Marco and future development of this app. And it's as much as I listen to podcasts and as much time as I spend in Overcast, I just, I feel like this is money well spent. Yeah. So this is one, like I was talking about earlier, if something earns its way into the rotation, if it's an app that you find makes your life better some way, um, then uh, I, I would argue, I would bet that most of the people that listen to the show are more than happy to pay if it's something that they find materially better. And that's really where it comes on the app developers. I mean, I was talking earlier, kind of defending the app developers, saying they got to find a way to make a living, but they also have to make an app that's good enough to make us feel that loyalty towards it because there's other podcast apps out there. I've tried them. Um, I actually very, for a long time, fought Overcast, even though it was made by a friend of mine. Um, the Siri function in the Apple podcast app 
has always been kind of killer if you're driving down the road and say, you know, hello, computer. Yeah. Hello, computer. Um, play Mac power users. And it just starts our podcast, which is awesome. Right. But the, um, I realized that as much as I like that feature, I didn't use it that often. And overcast the feet, the other, everything else about overcast is better. So I decided to try it. And then I, I like you, I'm, I'm a subscriber now to that as well. Um, so the, there's software out there that is, it, it just has to get over that barrier and overcast sounds like it's one for both of us. Um, and then, uh, in the category of entertainment, let's talk a little bit about music. I think we've talked about how we deal with music before, but in the context of subscriptions, we go at it differently. Yeah. I have, um, had an on and off again relationship with iTunes match and iTunes match is the precursor to Apple music, which I know you'll talk about a little more later. And this is basically the cloud service that you pay for, for an additional $25 a year. In addition to your iCloud storage space, which why can't I just use my existing iCloud storage space? I have a ton of it, but an additional $25 a year where Apple will sync all of my music up to its servers and match it for me and allow me to download it to my various devices. Um, this is one that I can see Apple doing away with in the future. They never promote it anymore. It's always everything is all about Apple Music. And I have a love-hate relationship with iTunes Match because when it works, it's great. But sometimes I just find myself fighting it. I think that um, the reason why it's a separate subscription, and I, I don't have any insider knowledge, but I suspect there's a bunch of licensing fees being paid uh, to the music companies as a result that this has nothing to do with paying for your storage, that this money is probably going to the various record labels. Um, but the, uh, but that's fine. Uh, and, and now you can continue with iTunes match and Apple music or instead of Apple music. And that's what I've elected to do. I, I canceled my iTunes match subscription. So that's one that didn't make the cut for me. I took it off the list because to the fact that I could put all my personal music up in the cloud wasn't as appealing to me uh, once I realized that just about everything I wanted was already um, in Apple Music and I'm paying for that. So why pay for iTunes Match as well? Uh, I know there's actually some good reasons for it. In fact, some of the kind of bug induced reasons are, are good to keep iTunes Match in addition, but we've got by without it. And to be honest, we even music we already own, we we generally just download through the Apple Music service. So if we ever stop using Apple Music, it's going to be a big mess to sort out. But um, I guess that's what they want, right? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the alternatives, obviously, to iTunes Match is just to sync your data locally and make sure you have good backups. Um, I'll, of course, you're going to have to sync through a cable, which I don't have one that's going to work with my new computer. So I guess I have to get another adapter. <laughs> or a cable. I, I joke. is is fine. It's fine. But um, yeah, I, I think I might actually disconnect my iTunes Match when it comes up for renewal. Now, the flip side is Apple Music, and that's $15 a month for a family subscription. So we have a group of four of us. Or or $10 a individual, right? Yeah, or but it's very easy. I mean, having college kids around, the, the student discount, I believe, is $5. So if you're a student, it's $5. If you're not a student, it's 10 And if you're a family, it's 15 And I think you can also subscribe individually for $99 a year. Well, I, I can tell you that... Uh, and we haven't really raised this much on the show, but our family is super happy with Apple Music. Um, I am not the most discriminating um, music subscription buyer on the planet. I know that, you know, I have friends that are very deep into Spotify and its lists and curations and all that. But uh, for us, we have really enjoyed iTunes music. We definitely download more than 15 new tracks a month. I mean, we download lots and lots of music, no matter what the event is, 
we're putting together playlists for it and all of us are doing it. I mean, our family was was made for this service. Just la- we're recording this the day after Thanksgiving. And I am um, I'm sorry, we're recording this the day after Halloween. And so last night I was uh staying home. You know, it's weird, Katie, when your kids grow older, you give candy away. I never did that before. I was always out, you know, making sure they didn't get, you know, mugged or something. But the uh so now I'm giving candy away. So I made the coolest, you know, spooky Halloween playlist. And I put it together in 10 or 15 minutes, all with music that I didn't own, never heard before. And and it was great when I answered the door to give away candy. I, you know, scared the, you know, what out of some of these little kids. The next area that I wanted to talk about, and we may skim over these a little bit since we covered them so in depth in a very recent show, um, is clown services. And if you haven't heard that episode, it was basically the cloud wars. We talked significantly about iCloud and Dropbox, and we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. But cloud services, there's a lot of of room for duplication. And that was kind of the show that got me thinking about all of this. But iCloud is something that I think most of us probably subscribe to now because five gigabytes of free storage just isn't enough. And you can use the storage for a lot of things, device backup, document storage, photo storage. Most of us probably upgraded to some degree when we got multiple iOS devices and five gigabytes just wasn't enough for backup. And then we probably jumped up again when we started using the fancy new photos app and then uploaded all of our photos to the cloud. Um, this is definitely one that you, if you're looking to trim some fat, uh, nerds should be able to figure out how to break these down to maybe just one service. Now, David, how is it going to work since you wrote the book on the photos app? What if I don't put my photos in the cloud? What do, what do I lose? What do I lose if I don't want? I mean, I still have PhotoStream, right? Yes. PhotoStream still exists, but you're not going to have, you know, you're just going to have a pain in the neck every time. If you want, you know, seamless integration, you know, the idea of, I, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day and they said, you know, it's funny. I, I forget that we used to have to get a cable out when we got back home from a trip, you know, to get the pictures into the system because now it just happens. And the iPhones are getting so good. They take such great pictures. You go on a trip, you take pictures with your iPhone, you get home, they're already on your computer. They're already on your iPad. It, you just don't think about it anymore. That's what you lose. But doesn't PhotoStream do some of that as long as you launch it within having, you know, within so many days? I um, you're, you put me on the spot. I don't, I, I, I think they, um, I don't think it does as much as it used to. And even before it was never really that great. You, you're not getting the, and and you're not getting access to it. You know, for instance, let's say you um, you take some off of your device. You're not going to get them back. You're not going to have access to the pictures you took last year, as an example, on your device. Unless, uh, because it doesn't go back in that direction. You're only going to have the stuff that is literally still on your phone. So, so you're going to lose the kind of the ability to find stuff on your mobile device when you're away. And so long as you're careful, I think you're going to get a lot of the wireless sync back, but it's just going to be a, a headache. I, you know, I, that's one where I think it's worth paying for. And you, it's going to be, you have a hard time convincing me otherwise. I, I know people that say like, for instance, they can cancel the iCloud subscription for photos. And instead they use it because they've already paid for all this money in Dropbox. They use Dropbox as a cloud sync photo service, which will work. But then you lose the application of them on your Mac. You've got to go find them in the Dropbox folder and then decide how you're going to edit it from there. All that stuff to me just starts to 
to give me a headache. And and don't you don't have to send me an email telling me how you're doing it. I know it's possible, but it's not to me that that's where I think I'm losing a lot more money dealing with that, where I could be doing other things that earn me money than than trying to save you know five bucks a month to do that. Yeah, and I'm probably paying less than you are. I'm I'm paying three bucks a month for two hundred gigabytes, but. And I think part of that is because where the price tier breaks down. I mean, I really wish there was a smaller tier because it really takes a jump up to 200 gigabytes. I think the next tier is like 50 because I'm I'm only using a fraction of that. I'm basically just using it for my photos. I don't really use iCloud for document storage. I use Dropbox for that. And um, so I've, I this is one that gives me a little bit of heartburn. And I know three bucks a month isn't a lot. I You know, I'm spending $36 a year. I, I can stomach that. But I just feel like I'm not getting as much benefit for this as I would be. And it, it just bugs me because I feel like I'm. this is the area, cloud service is the area where I've got three different services that are duplicating features. It gets worse in a family. I, I think Apple is doing a disservice to us with this stuff. They They should be able, I mean, they have family accounts. They have all this family tracking stuff now that we can do when we buy apps. But what they don't have is a family pool of iCloud storage. So uh, I'm paying, you know, $3 a month times four, but it's worse for me. Um, I upped mine to a terabyte because I was running that experiment that we did on the show. I haven't dropped it down yet. I probably can. But my wife is over 200 gigabytes. And so I'm paying $10 a month for her because she she just collects data better than I do or, or more data than I do. So suddenly I have... Uh, you know, myself in the situation where I'm paying, you know, four times multiple for iCloud storage. And that that gets kind of grating when you think about like right now, I've got a terabyte plan for myself that probably can come down. I just got to look at it, like I said. But so I've probably got at least 600 free gigabytes in there. And then my wife has a terabyte plan with like 600 free gigabytes in it. <laughs> but nevertheless, I'm still paying for them both because they don't have a way for me to say, okay, you can buy one terabyte for the whole family. And that would probably be enough for us. Uh, so I, I hope that at some point they figured that out because that's the kind of stuff that, you know, drives me to Dropbox. It's like, why am I having to do this four times? This is crazy. Right. And then the other big players here are uh, Google and, and Dropbox. And again, I'm going to skim over these a bit because we talked about them extensively in the last show. I pay for Google Apps for work and Google Apps, you can get it either for a personal account or for a business account. Um, I pay $5 per user per month because I'm the only user right now. It's just $5. And that gives me access to email, calendar, Google Drive storage and things like that. Um, it's a necessary evil for me because it's the email service that I use for work. Although I really, at this point, am using a little bit of drive storage and primarily email. Um, obviously, there are other alternatives out there. You could um, use another email provider or service, but, you know, five bucks a month is not unreasonable for the type of email that I get through the, the Google Apps for Work account. And I get all the other benefits, which I think that I might use someday. Um, and, you know, you, you could move to a free Gmail account, but I wouldn't do that for work personally. I agree. I, I don't do, I don't, I'm not giving Google any money because I just don't do that much stuff there. And the free account is enough for me on that one, but Dropbox I'm in pretty hard. Yeah. I, I also pay uh, $99 a year for one terabyte of, of Dropbox. And I made the decision, you know, if I wanted to consolidate at work, I probably could consult. Dropbox is my file management system. 
Um, even though at currently I'm only using a fraction of its storage. Again, if Dropbox offered a, a 500 gig plan for half the price, I'd, I'd probably use that. But the 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 pro plan is a necessary expense for me, both because of its additional storage and its additional security features. And I use Dropbox because it's what people are using, you know, especially with the Google Mac app that makes your Google Drive folder a lot more like a Dropbox folder. If I really needed to, if it became a hardship, I probably could substitute my Google Drive storage for what I'm using Dropbox for. But it's just easier at this point to use Dropbox. Yeah, and and this is all stuff I covered a few weeks ago in the iCloud Dropbox show. But I, I wanted to to dump Dropbox, but ultimately decided I couldn't. So right, and she's got so many more integrations and services. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. I just love having Squarespace as a sponsor of the Mac Power Users because I believe in it so much. Squarespace takes all the work out of creating your own website, and I think you should probably have your own website. If you're making something cool, why shouldn't you own its home on the internet? Turning it over to Facebook or some other social media service just doesn't really make sense, and it's not difficult to set up your own website. It used to be, but not anymore because of Squarespace. Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Because it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world, and you can use Squarespace's easy-to-use tools to build your own website today. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands and takes away all the pain points, like worrying about hosting or scaling or a bunch of other potential problems that you wouldn't even know existed unless you made your living building websites. My dirty secret is I'm not a very good website designer. I know a little web coding, but I'm no expert at it by any stretch of the imagination. The good news is I don't need to. I've entrusted all of my websites to Squarespace. I've got Max Sparky on Squarespace. I've got my legal website on Squarespace. The smart people at Squarespace bring state-of-the-art technology to power your site and ensure security and stability. They're trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Their site templates are great, and you can easily customize them, even if you don't have a lot of expertise in it. Just take a look at MaxSparky.com. That started as a Squarespace template, but now it is uniquely my own. I'm just getting started, though. They've got 24-7 support with live chat and email. They've got commerce baked right in if you want to sell something. They've got cover page support, and they've got rock-solid fast hosting. Squarespace makes it so easy that if you sign up for a year, they'll also give you a free domain name. Head over to Squarespace.com to set up your free, no-credit-card-required trial. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. Thank you, Squarespace, for your support of the Mac Power users and Relay FM. So here's your favorite category where you like to spend money. It's productivity software. Yeah. And you know, what's funny as I started putting the outline to the, together on this. There isn't that many apps I'm spending subscriptions on for productivity software. I thought there would be more. One that you were an earlier adopter to than I was is uh, Microsoft Office 365. This is one that I just couldn't fathom subscribing to. And and you you take the exact opposite approach. It just makes sense. Yeah, but you were, wait a second, wait a second. You were getting it like free, like because you were a student, right? Isn't that why? I was. So you could, you. it's not like you, you weren't using the software. Of course, you're a lawyer, you're using Word, right? 
Oh, yeah. But I always bought the box edition. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You wanted to buy a disc. Well, so what 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 brought you into the, the field of subscription software from Microsoft? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. So personal plans, which are for individual users, start at $6.99 a month. They've also got kind of a family plan that I think is $9.99 a month and includes multiple users, but that's for personal use. If you want a business plan, which you should be using if you're using it for a business, um, those start at eight twenty nine. I'm sorry, eight twenty five per user per month. And I got to tell you, I personally was very happy to continue buying box software and to renew it every couple of years because Microsoft tended to do major updates, and I think they're they're increasing their frequency now that they've gone to Office three sixty five. But they tended to do major upgrades to their software every two two maybe three years or so. And for me, I think the math just worked out that, you know, I'd, I'd spend less on buying the box software every cycle or maybe every other cycle than paying a subscription service. I'm in a pretty good place with Microsoft Office right now, <laughs> as good a place as I've been in a long time. And I remember for a long time, it, like after when the Mac switched over to the Intel processor for like four or five years, Word was terrible. It's like you would type a letter and there was like a noticeable delay before it would show up on the screen you know just the the simple process of saying i'm going to push a button on the screen and i want a letter to appear push a button on the keyboard i want a letter to appear on the screen word was incapable of doing that for a long time <laughs> but it's okay now it's still a little crashy on the mac for me i still have some problems with it uh, i think it's actually better on the um the ipad version than it was on the mac which is kind of weird although there's some strange decisions about um, feature limitations. Like one thing, I don't know, do you ever use Word on your iPad? Yes, I do. I do. If I use styles all the time. Every document I make has styles, heading one, heading two. I use all that stuff. It just makes it so much easier. And you can't adjust style formatting on the iPad. So that's weird. But, you know, in general, it's pretty good. So, but but I just knew as a lawyer that it was the cost of doing businesses. I need to have Word. I mean, I even when I have clients that want me to make pages contracts for them, quite often, at some point they end up in word because we have to share it with somebody, somebody that doesn't have pages. So um, I just look at it. $10 a month seems it's about fair to me. I think that's what I'm paying $10 a month. Um, and it, it's fine. You know, I pay it. I don't complain. I, I don't have any intention of canceling. This one never gets audited for me. I need Microsoft. So, and I, and I do like the fact that once you get, you know, this, this subscription plan, they're, they're pretty generous. I think it's five devices you can install it on. So, your various, you know, if you're like me and you have two iPads, that's not a problem <laughs> and a Mac. Um, and uh, it's money well spent for me. Uh, Text Expander is another one. There was, a, you may have noticed a little bit of drama when they moved to a subscription service. Yeah. Well, I mean, people weren't happy. I mean, this is, I mean, this is the whole thing I was talking about at the beginning. People, I, I get it. I mean, you're used to not paying for a subscription and now they want money from you every month. And uh, and they listened. They they adjusted their pricing and made a bunch of other changes to try and you know satisfy people. I mean, but I do feel like, and, and I never had this conversation with the folks at Text Expander, so I don't know if this is true or not. But I I do think this is one of those apps that does need to transition. And the funny thing, as we record this show, I've had conversations with so many app developers over the last year at different conferences I've attended, and they're all thinking about it. I mean, there's a bunch of people out there trying to figure out how do I make. Um, subscription plans work so I can keep this app afloat. And, you know, Text Expander, I think, happened to be one of the first ones to to kind of go into the space and, and boy, they, they paid the price. Uh, 
Um, so, so their plans start at uh, four dollars a month, three ninety nine a month for an individual plan, or seven ninety six a month for teams. That's if you do the build annually option. Uh, I use the subscription version at this point, and I primarily do for a couple of reasons. One is because I want the latest features, and Windows support is kind of important to me. Although I don't have a Windows machine, I do have a Windows VM that I use for all of my estate planning drafting because um, our drafting software is is Windows based. And you know, estate planning is kind of one of those things where you use a lot of the same clauses and boiler point uh, paragraphs over and over again. It's really nice to have text expander on that PC machine. Yeah, and they had a bunch of deals when they got this going for people who had already purchased. So, and I, I would imagine some of that stuff probably exists. I haven't checked it out. You have to give them a call or send them an email if you're thinking about getting into their subscription plan. And I guess we should say this is a this is a sponsor. Yeah, in fact, we just we just we just had yeah we just had a deal on our last show, David. They were offering a deal for Mac Power users listeners. So, um, I'm not sure if it's still in effect, but go listen to the last uh, small sponsored episode, and I think there was a deal for text expansion. Yeah, a couple of these are sponsors. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I I pay for them. I guess I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, these are apps I use, and and they, but they also are sponsors of the show, so you can decide that we're biased if you want. The um. The, the other one that falls in that category, SaneBox. Um, oh, before we get off Text Expander, I do just want to point out, because we were we were listing alternatives, uh, Text Expander did come back and, and put back out their standalone app, which is still available now. So if you don't want the subscription, there's still the standalone app that's available. But yes, SaneBox. SaneBox is, is a, a little Trojan horse that you have put into my life, and I never in my life thought I would pay for a service like this, but I do, gladly. All of these that, happen to come into the show that we have a couple that we're going to mention today that are sponsors. I feel a little bit, you know, okay, because these are things I, I was paying for sometimes for years before they actually approached us to sponsor the show. This is not some, I, I was putting my money where my mouth is. I'll say same box is another one. As soon as I am, I, I was writing a book on email and I was looking at all these competing services and, and I read about this same box service. I said, well, I'll try that one. Maybe it's another one to at least mention in the book. And it's like, holy, you know what? This is great. So as soon as I got into it, I immediately subscribed to it. And um, we uh, we do ad spots for them. You've heard about them if you listen to our show. But um, it's one where I get the value. You know, it got over the bar for me uh, where I get some value out of it. So I'm willing to pay for it. In fact, I pay actually quite a bit. I think it's one of my biggest subscriptions because I use same box with three different accounts and they, they, their, their pricing model depends on how many accounts you use. Yeah. I, I have the medium subscription cause I use it on, on two different accounts. They have got plans that start at $7 a month, but you know, again, it's, it's, I like it because it works with everything. Um, and that's very important to me is that I can have my email using any app that I want to and any service that I want to. And I know that it's just going to work um, because since I've had SaneBox, I've changed email providers, I've changed services, I've opened up a new business, changed firms and and all those things. And it, it it's it's all come with me and I've kept all my trainings and those types of things. So, again, this is not a SaneBox ad, but it's it's one that I've added, you know, because we're talking about alternatives and options. There are a lot of email programs now that that do offer some of the features like deferrals and, um, you know, bringing your emails back later, but typically you have to be all in, in their system. And so you only get those benefits if you're using that app across all your platforms, assuming they have apps available across multiple platforms. So it just depends what you want. Another alternative is, um, was it Google inbox? I believe they call it. If you're using a Google system, they have some uh, email sorting and options available there too. 
here's one that I don't get at all. Dragon Anywhere. You pay 15 bucks a month for that. Yeah, I know. I knew that would make you a little crazy. <laughs> I, I cannot even fathom. Although I will say that I was dictating an email while I was driving today and and Siri was just god awful. Wait, wait a second. You were dictating to Siri dictation while driving? Katie, that's dangerous. Well, I was stopped. I was at a light and I wasn't going to text. So I hit I hit the Siri button and I said, you know, draft an email to so-and-so with the subject line of so-and-so and the body of blah, blah, blah. Okay. So what you should do for that is, uh, well, I, I, I'm full in with the Dragon, you know, ecosystem. I've got Dragon on my, on my Mac. I've got it on my iOS devices too. They announced last year they were going to do this uh, subscription service called Dragon Anywhere. And they said early, they, I mean, they were upfront $15 a month. Uh, to get Dragon Dictation on your on your device. And everybody like kind of rolled their eyes and I said, you know, I'm going to try it. I did that thing. I said, I signed up for a couple months. I put a thing in OmniFocus and added it to my numbers database. And I found that it was worth it to me for a couple of reasons. Number one is Dragon Dictation is better than Siri Dictation. You know, they just, for whatever reason, they've been doing it longer. They've got a better database. Um, it does a better job. And then there's two additional things I love about it. The first is, uh, custom dictionary. So like, you know, I'm, there's no secret. I'm working on another field guide right now. And of course it's got some names of apps and, and technology stuff in it that aren't in the normal dictionary, but I've added them to my dragon dictionary and I can, I added them to the dragon dictionary on my Mac. They automatically synced over to dragon anywhere on iOS. So everything talks to each other. And if I say those words, um, then they just appear in dictation and I don't have to do that. The thing I used to do where I say monkey and then go replace monkey with, you know, Microsoft or whatever. But the um, uh, so that's really nice. And the other thing it does that's really great for iOS is it keeps an open mic, you know, on iOS. If you with Siri, when you start dictating, and I timed this, I wrote an article about this for Macworld magazine about six months ago, unless it's changed with iOS 10, I haven't timed it lately but it was 40 seconds you got to 40 seconds and ios dictation shuts down so if you're in the middle of a sentence like if you're dictating a, a text message that's not a problem but if you're dictating a letter uh, that's like two and a half sentences and so you get to the middle of a sentence and it just stops and then if you hit the siri button again it starts a new sentence it capitalizes it you know it just all of a sudden, the text is garbled up because it stopped in the middle and your train of thought stops. It's just ugly to have a dictation system just randomly stop. And if you aren't paying attention, you keep talking and it's not recording you. And so Dragon fix all, fixes all those problems. It allows you to talk into the mic. It has good dictation. Um, I've talked on the show about it because a lot of my day job is is reviewing documents and commenting on them and, and sending narratives out. Um, Dragon is much faster than typing on an iOS device for me and easier on the fingers. So I get my money out of this easily. But it's funny to me how many people are angry about $15 a month. Um, you know, I have had very few people say, oh, that sounds fair. You know, and I guess so I'm paying what $180 a year to have really good dictation on my iOS device. Um, it sounds like a lot of money. And it is if, um, you know, depending on what you do, but when you're a lawyer and you, you make your, your money by going through and, and writing things, it saves me so much time. It's totally worth it. I, I was at a, a lawyer event where I was talking about how I use Dragon Anywhere 
And somebody in the audience went completely insane on me. He was like, $15 a month. That is crazy. He was like, and then afterwards he came up to me and he was like mad at me. Like, how dare you? I mean, this guy was really upset. Uh, you know, how dare you sit up here and tell us to spend $15 a month on this service? You're not telling anybody to spend $15 a month on the service. You're just saying it works for you. Yeah. And I said to the guy, I said, how much money do you earn an hour as a lawyer? How much do you charge your clients? You know, and he said $300. That's what he charges an hour. Sit down. And I said, do you realize that's three minutes of your billable time a month to have this service that makes it easier for you to get your letters written, to review your contracts, to do all this stuff? And he was still mad. He says, no, I, I'm never paying that much for software. And then, he, you know, and this is kind of gets back to that thing you were talking about earlier um, about this kind of this mentality of this app economy where people are like, I want to pay $2 once and I want it to be updated every year and I want it to continue to be awesome and I don't want to ever have to give them any more money. And I'm not saying our listeners are like that because they're not, but, but there's a lot of people out there that have that, that entitlement feeling. And, um, if nothing else, subscribing to Dragon Dictate has allowed me to have some interesting conversations with people about, you know, paying for it. Now, I'll say that Dragon Dictate or Dragon Anywhere um, has a little bit of higher buyer for me because of the, the money it costs, but it clearly passes it for me. If they raise it to $50 a month, I probably would cancel it. Um, but or if I found myself, like I said earlier, using Siri Dictation, let's say in iOS 11, Siri Dictation just becomes super awesome. And it allows me to have a custom dictionary and, and dictate for longer than 40 seconds. You know, Dragon may be right out the door the next day if Siri gets there, but it's not. And paying $15 a month for me works. So, you know, th this is the balance that we all, you know, everybody, you and me and everybody listening to this has to make for everything in their life. If you're not somebody who dictates a lot, there's no way you would want to spend $15 a month for this. Um, or I was talking to a friend who says, I use dictation all the time and I never dictate more than two sentences. And I'm like, well, then you don't need this. You know, just, just use Siri, you're fine. But if you are somebody who dictates a lot, I talked about that workflow on a live show. I'll say it again in case somebody missed that is one of my favorite workflows on the iPad Pro is to put my PDF on two thirds of the screen and the Dragon um, Anywhere uh, rolling dictation screen on the right one third of the screen. And I will sit there and I will take my Apple Pencil and I will highlight and mark up a contract. And at the same time, I'll dictate this long letter to the client about, you know, section two, we need to change this and I don't like this and blah, 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 blah. And Dragon just keeps up with me like a pro. And it's, it's a really great workflow for me to get stuff done. So will I pay $15 a month? If you earn it, I sure will. All right. Well, this is not the Dragon show. This is not the Dictation show. We've had one of those. People can go back in the, in the show notes and listen to it. But I almost feel like I, I guess I felt a little defensive because every time this comes up, people give me give me stuff about this. Well, and you know what? If it's worth it to you, spend it. It, it, you know, it all comes down to for any of these. If it's worth it to you, spend it. If it's not, don't. Um, It's kind of like if you don't like your iPhone, take it back. Okay. Within two weeks. <laughs> Utilities. Yes. Um, utilities. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the last category. And, um, one that we have to mention again, full disclosure, they're a sponsor is one password, one password, although they still have their standalone model. Don't, don't freak out. Nothing is changing. Um, they also have subscription plans. They've got individual plans, family plans, and team plans now. And I think the subscription models definitely make a lot of sense for families and teams. And even as an individual, I've switched over to the individual subscription plan because I think it offers a lot of benefits as well. 
Yeah, and I don't want this to sound like a commercial, um, but we uh, we switched the Sparks family over to a subscription plan last year. It's I pay five bucks a month for it. And uh, the reason is there's just some nice features with letting uh, Agile Bits or 1Password manage this for you. And the biggest one was my daughter at one point um, texted me our, um, let me back up. She wanted me to text her the Amazon password. Yeah, you should never text passwords. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not comfortable doing that, you know, and just getting passwords to her was difficult. And I was thinking, you know, I just don't want them doing that. So we set up with the uh, the family plan with one password and it's it's been a big success for us. So uh, it's worth it to me to pay $5 a month to have security. And now the kids are using actually pretty good security, way better than their friends are on their all their devices, because now they understand how one password works and it's not that hard and like I said, we won't we won't turn into a commercial, but it, it is uh, definitely worth it to me. Another one um, is uh, domain hosting, um, not just your domain's names, but um, I guess I should probably call it web hosting. Uh, you and I both use Squarespace. I, I think a lot of people use um, services that host their their WordPress blogs. I, I spend about a hundred bucks a year, and I spend it for a couple of different Squarespace accounts: one for work um, and one for my my personal blog. And actually, I think I have a third one for another um, uh, kind of community project that I'm involved with. And I know that there are probably some less expensive options. I personally like Squarespace because it's an all-in-one solution. I don't have to think about it anymore. And there certainly are probably less expensive things that I could I could choose. But that's why I use Squarespace. Um, but web hosting is something. It was another one that I didn't put on my list until I really sat down and thought about it. And it came up on that Bobby app where, you know, you only pay for it once a year. It, it's easy to forget about those things. Yeah, I agree. You know, if you're going to, you're going to have an internet website, you're going to have to pay something for it. You're going to pay for hosting somewhere. I'll tell you what really shocked me though, is when I started going down and making a list was domain names. Yeah. I bet you have more than you thought you did. <sighs> domain names. And, and they vary depending on whether it's a .com or a .net or a .fm or one of those. But domain names typically cost between $15 and $20 a year. And some of the specialty ones like .fm are, are a little more expensive. But in prepping for this show, I started making a list of the domain names. And I realized that I spend over $350 a year in domain names. So what are you going to do about that? Well, just prepping for the show, I turned auto renewal on probably four or five off. Um because I realized I didn't need them, but I've got, I've got several personal ones. We have several associated with the podcast and I've got a couple of associated with work. And basically the big thing I have is, you know, I have a couple of main domain names and then I have multiple variations of those names. I've got, you know, common misspellings and I've got different um, TLDs for those various domain names. Um, You know, you almost kind of feel like you need it for, because if you don't, someone else will get it. And then you've got a problem. I mean, the last thing I want is some, you know, hacker or squatter to to jump on a domain name that's similar to mine and put who knows what up there. Yeah, it's just uh, you're going to have to pay that. But but the jokey ones that you get, sometimes you get one on a whim. Uh, sometimes you get one because you think you may want to do a project and you realize three years later, the project never happened and never will happen. Um, be auditing those allows you to get rid of those. But I, I wouldn't be so careful that I didn't have any of them. Yeah, I think I think you just have to do a regular audit of them because a lot of these go on auto renewal. And I think that's important because you don't want to lose them. But go through and make sure, do I really need this one? What's left for your utilities? Um, offsite backup is another one. I mean, you and I have both preached the importance of offsite backup. 
Uh, I use Backblaze. It's cost me five bucks a month. I actually pay for it yearly, so it's a little less. It's 60 bucks a year. But offsite backup is really a must for me. Thankfully, knock on wood, I have not had a catastrophic recovery that I've had to recover everything from offsite backup. I have recovered a few individual files, but I really consider this more insurance than anything else. I think if you're, um, I mean, we've talked about this on the show before. We've had some that have sponsored us, some that haven't. Just any good, reputable offsite backup is money well spent. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of other solutions. Um, there's some roll your own backup solutions where you can do it with like a, you know, crash plan will allow you to back up to a buddy. Or if you have network attached storage, you can, you know, back up to a network attached storage drive or do those types of things. To me, those things were just too much to have to try to figure out and too much to try to maintain that I'd rather just pay somebody to do it. So are you, um, and we did a whole show on backup, so that's probably something you can go listen to if you have questions on that. You've got one here on the list, though, that I've never heard of before. What's HP Instant Ink? Yeah. So um, I, a couple of months ago, and this is a relatively new one for me that is yet to be determined whether it will make the cut, but I think it's going to stay, is HP Instant Ink. And that's basically a subscription to printer ink, which sounds ridiculous, but I have one of those um, inkjet printers, you know, one of these inexpensive inkjet printers that you get for $50 on Black Friday, but the ink ends up costing you a ridiculous amount of money every year. Yeah, the razor's free, but the blades will kill you. Exactly. Um, and so I I go through different, I think like most people, I don't print a whole lot at home. I, I print maybe a dozen or so pages a month. However, I do have periods of time and I just went through one this past weekend. Um, I, I do a charity auction every year and it was just this past weekend where I do a lot of printing. And in particular, I do a lot of color printing. So every couple of months, maybe I have, maybe it's a birthday party or maybe it's a family event or maybe it's this charity auction where I do a lot of printing and particularly printing in color. And so I don't want to switch to a laser printer, which I know is a lot cheaper because I still want to have the ability to print in color at home. So HP Instant Ink, um, plans start at $1.99 a month for 50 pages, and that's the plan that I'm on. And I think it's a really good deal if you're a fairly low volume printer, because if you do the math on that, I'm spending $24 a year, and I typically would buy two print cartridges a year, typically a black and a color, but mostly because my existing cartridges would would dry out. I'm, I'm convinced that the ink, ink cartridges just die for whatever reason. They don't have a lifespan of, of more than a year. And so what you get when you buy these cartridges is you get um, super high capacity cartridges and you're allowed to print up to 50 pages a month. And then those pages roll over, but you can never roll over more than 50 pages. So right now I've got 50 pages in my rollover and I probably will for the foreseeable future because on a normal month, I'm a pretty low volume printer, which means I can print 50 plus my 50 rollover pages if I need to, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if those are black and white pages and it doesn't matter if those are color pages. So this weekend I printed about 30 pages in full color that normally I would just be cringing because that would probably kill an entire ink cartridge, but I don't care because as soon as the ink runs low, I've got an internet connected printer. My printer is going to call up to HP and say, send her another cartridge and they will. That's interesting that they, uh, why not, you know, <laughs> get in that business. I, uh, one of the things I've done is, uh, cause I, my home office is where I do the most amount of printing. I, I have a color laser here, but if I have big projects, I am very often going to just 
bring a PDF over to the copy center and let them do it on their printers. Yeah, and that I do too. At, at the office, I have a, a a laser printer, and that's where I print, do my you know printing of my everyday documents on my that black and white laser printer. And we also have um in the because I'm in a shared office space. In that office, I also have access to one of these big copy machines that also is a printer. And so I have to print anything that's you know more than twenty pages or so. I print it to that copy machine. Well, you know, I just think with subscriptions, at some point, everybody has to figure out the criteria that they're going to use to decide what makes the cut and what doesn't. Um, we are definitely going to have more of these subscriptions thrown at us with apps that we love a year from now than we have now. And, you know, you're going to have to make a decision if it's worth it or not. And I'm not here to tell you what is and what isn't. I think everybody's different, just like this uh, kind of the fact that I'm an outlier with Dragon Anywhere. Um but everybody gets to make their own decisions. And and I think what you need is a system in your head. Like, how do you decide what, what stays and what doesn't? And boy, just, just open a number spreadsheet. If you got one thing from this show, just open a number spreadsheet. You don't even have to fill it all in right now. Every time a monthly bill shows up and you become aware of one, just stop and put it in there. That way, it's a very easy kind of low stress way to get this thing developed. And you'll be surprised and you'll find things and ways to save money. And maybe you'll find some some apps that, that 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 don't make the cut for you. So you know this gives you kind of a way to to get there. Yeah, and there are a lot of other common subscriptions that we didn't even talk about in the show, and we don't really have time to. But you know, there's there's all your your monthly household subscriptions, and we're paying for our cell phones now. Not only just our service, but the actual phones themselves. Most of us have moved to subscription plans for that. It seems. Um, and, you know, we, we also can't really forget about the Patreon type subscriptions that people are paying, whether it's actually to a service like Patreon or to um, subscription services like, you know, Relay has a membership subscription service where you can support people. Jason Snell has a subscription service over at Six Colors. Um, Federico has a subscription service over at Max Stories. You know, a lot of our friends have these uh, subscription services that are really how they make their living. I subscribe to quite a number of those as well. And just as a way to, to support those people. I, I kind of went through that when, um, w- you know, when I was after I quit my job and I was trying to develop more in Max Sparky. And a lot of people told me, if you don't put a subscription plan at Max Sparky or something like that, you won't be able to keep it going. And I just, the, the what I ultimately decided for me, and this is for me only, um, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. It just didn't seem, it just didn't work for me. And I, I still make things that I sell and people buy them. And that really helps me keep everything floating. But the, uh, the subscription service didn't work for me for a content type business, but there's a lot of them out there that are looking for it. And I support several of them, you know, so, um, yeah, but there's just a lot of things out there, but they go in the spreadsheet and you should look at them and say, am I getting my money's worth? Yeah, that's, that's all. I just think you need a, a, um, kind of a mechanism to work within. And the thing I, I guess I would say is don't feel bad if something isn't giving you value of unsubscribing, but uh, on the flip side, if something is giving you value, um, don't feel bad about that either. I mean, that's why, you know, isn't that the idea? <laughs> you know, the stuff that works for you and brings you delight that you support it so it can continue to do so. And the stuff that doesn't, then you don't support it. And and I think that's kind of a, a good, healthy way to come at this stuff. Right. Uh, speaking of things that have supported us, we do want to take a moment and thank our sponsors for this episode. That would be Fujitsu, Smile, and Squarespace. And of course, all of you who support us uh, through the Relay FM membership system. We, we definitely appreciate that. And uh, you can connect with us if you'd like. Um, the show is at Mac Power Users on Twitter. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Max Sparky. 
We'll see you all next week.